Will you all join me in prayer again? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. For the past five years or so, it has felt as if America is kind of on edge. Tensions have felt high, loneliness has reached an all-time high, families have found themselves divided along political and social lines, our children are reporting extreme levels of depression. You throw in a pandemic and months-long isolations, and I don't think I'm on my own in feeling as if everything seems to kind of be teetering on the edge. Tensions often feel high. Our communities may seem vulnerable and on the brink of collapse. How do our communities survive these pressures from the world all around us? How do our churches continue to reach out to people who are divided? How do we continue to follow Jesus when the way we follow Jesus may look different than the way our neighbor follows Jesus? How will we survive these tensions? For our Lenten sermon series, we will focus on the Ten Commandments found in the Old Testament book of Exodus. Each of these five weeks, we will look at two commandments at a time, along with a relevant New Testament passage, too. We're going to get a lot of scriptural text in here these next few weeks. But before we get to the actual two commandments this morning and their relevance to us during this season, let's consider together the context of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not just given to this random group of people to pass down forever. Instead, the Israelites, God's chosen people, are wandering about in the desert. They are a tired, tension-filled people looking for a promised land. They've followed Moses out of, the, out of Egypt, and they are in the wilderness, wandering. In Egypt, before their freedom, they were a separate people, they were heavily influenced by the culture around them. But here in this specific portion of Exodus, the Israelites have traveled together as a community for months on end. Out of necessity, this group of people who lived separate lives before they fled Egypt are now together and they're forming their own traditions. They're leaning deeper into their identity, their commonality, their chosenness as God's people. These commandments are given to Moses. They're given to the Israelites as a community. They're given to bind them as a people that have come together in covenant with one another and with God. The Israelites' lives have been tension-filled there have been moments along their journey where they have wished they were back in slavery in Egypt. 
There have been moments where they've wondered where their next meal would come from. There have been moments where community was not a word anyone would use to describe these misfit groups of refugees. And still, the Israelites have made it this far. And now they're given this set of commandments, these commandments that are to center their lives, that are to help them claim their identities as God's people, that are helped to set them apart. Lent began last Wednesday with Ash Wednesday, and typically during this season, many people give up something in order to focus on their relationship with Jesus. Others of us may have added something into our routine to help us draw closer to God. Here in modern worship, we will be encouraged each week to pick up some type of practice or challenge to use throughout the week to help us draw near to God. These practices will be simple but meaningful ways to apply the Ten Commandments to our lives and to help us prepare our hearts for Easter. The Ten Commandments can sometimes be a dicey topic for us to approach. For some people, the Ten Commandments are the literal rules that one should center their lives around in order to follow God the right way. For others, the Ten Commandments are more of a suggestions or would be nice to haves. And then there are others who recognize the Ten Commandments and the context for which these commands were given. And they believe that there's something for us to clean from these ancient commands even today. Even though our culture and our practices and our interpretations may look much different than they did for the audience in Exodus. The latter is more of where we will land as we consider these commandments and their place in our lives. We will begin the series by looking at the first two commands given to Moses and the Israelites. We'll be in Exodus chapter 20. This morning, let us read together verses 1 through 6. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you must have no other gods before me. That's command number one. Then command number two. Do not make an idol for yourself, no form whatsoever of anything in the sky above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow down to them or worship them because I, the Lord your God, am a passionate God. I punish children for their parents' sins, even to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But I am loyal and gracious to this thousandths generation of those who love me and those who keep my commandments. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let the church say, thanks be to God. So these first two commandments are, one, you must have no other gods before me. And two, do not make an idol for yourself and do not worship idols. Both of these commandments were meant very literally for these people. They lived in a culture, especially while they were in Egypt, where there were other gods for them to worship and where the worship of idols was commonplace. 
Even the Israelites, spoiler alert, just a little bit after they received these Ten Commandments, they choose to create a golden calf to worship. A golden calf made out of their own gold, jewelry, and possessions from their time in Egypt. These were not some far-fetched commandments. They were not analogies for other things. The Israelites literally were commanded to have no other gods outside of God and to not make or worship idols, which in a world of polytheism, that's a fancy word for many gods, and of golden calves, this was a heavy ask of the people. For us today in 2023, we have to ask ourselves what these two commandments mean for us now. We are a largely monotheistic society, at least here in America. The largest religions practiced here all hold belief in one single God. Many of us probably also don't have shrines around us that represent other gods or deities that we've created and we're worshiping in our closet. If you ever saw Hey Arnold, uh, he... Helga Pataki had the shrine to Arnold in her closet. Okay, neither here nor there. We would do well to consider these first two commandments in a new light. What are the things we allow to get between us and our relationship with Christ? What are these earthly things around us that we are putting our trust in? It's up to each of us to identify the things that take us away from God and work to dismantle those things in our lives. There's this quote that I find very appropriate that is often attributed to Ralph Waldo Emerson that speaks to the importance of recognizing who or what we worship. Truly, the gods we worship write their names on our faces. A person will worship something have no doubt about that. We may think our tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of our hearts, but it will out. That which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives and character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship. For what we are worshiping, we are becoming. Those things that we hold dear, those priorities we hold dear to us, often manifest in who we are. And it can be tempting to think of little things in our lives as idols, like watching TV or reading books or taking naps, things that maybe take up our time and don't seem the most productive. But I'd argue that most of those little things if they bring us joy, then there's some God in them. And they're things that actually can help us draw near to God. They're not necessarily idols. Instead, when I think of our personal idols, I think more big picture. I'm thinking of things like power, wealth, sports even maybe career building, status, politics. These things that we work on accumulating for the betterment of ourselves and our own personal families. And often when we pour into those type of things, we do so 
at the expense of others. They're not bad things on their own, but when they become the center of our focus, they can take us away from who God created us to be. Identifying these types of idols in our own lives may be a tricky thing for us to do, and it'll probably look different for each of us. But during this Lenten season, it's worth our consideration. What earthly things are taking us from God and taking us away from being in community with those around us? In the New Testament, Paul is one of our faith ancestors, and he often has much to add as to how we are to live into our Christian identities. In Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, the Philippians, he writes this, Brothers and sisters, become imitators of me and watch those who live this way. You can use us as models. As I have told you many times and now say with deep sadness, many people live as enemies of the cross. Their lives end with destruction. Their God is their stomach, and they take pride in their disgrace because their thoughts focus on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven. We look forward to a savior that comes from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul encourages this community at Philippi to look to him, which sounds a little conceited, but he was Paul. People look to him anyways. And not just to look to him, but look to others like him for how to best follow Jesus. The Philippians have been tempted. They've been swayed by worldly, by earthly things. And Paul wants to challenge them to work on putting Jesus at the center of their lives and to learn from their community, to learn from one another's strengths as to how to truly stay near to God. One may even say how to stay true to the Ten Commandments. And in doing so, if they're able to find this way to practice their lives the way Jesus lived his lives, then they will be able to truly come together as a community of believers, working together to be more Christ-like. When we take it upon ourselves to follow the first two commandments, we set the stage for how Christians are expected to live their lives as a community centered around God and bringing about the kingdom of God here and now by not allowing earthly status quo and culture to influence us in a way that separates us from God, but instead allows God to be in every earthly thing. We are able to truly draw deeper to relationship with God and with one another when we follow these commandments in a way that is relevant to the culture around us, in a way that means facing those things in our lives that take us away from who God has called us to be. Sometimes this Lenten season can feel like a time for us to go through the motions, to maybe give up some healthy unfood or habit. But what would it mean for us to use this season to be truly transformed, 
to learn more about the Ten Commandments and to allow them to revolutionize the way we interact with the world. This is how we work to dispel that tension that is found around every corner. This is how we work to build community, to look forward to a brighter future. We hold true to God as the true God, and we have refused to allow the culture and status quo to take the place of God in our lives. Our spiritual practice challenge this week is for us all to give up an earthly thing. What is something in our life that is not of God and that does not bring good into the world? How can we work on not giving that as much power in our lives? Maybe it's finding moments to listen instead of speaking. Maybe it's holding back on saying those words that may not bring good into the world. Maybe it's recognizing a power or privilege that we have and asking what it would mean for us to give that up. There are a number of ways this can manifest, and I encourage us all to really take a look inward and see what's holding us back from making God our number one priority. I am not convinced that the Ten Commandments are meant to be rules that hold us back or that limit our enjoyment of life. I am convinced that even today, all of these years later, that God still speaks to God's people through these ancient commands and that we can have fuller, brighter, Christ-filled lives when we center ourselves around a better way to live in community with one another. Our communities are in desperate need of hope and of a way forward. Won't you join us as together we work to prepare our hearts for Easter and create a community worth having? Amen.